Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to the Point 99 podcast, episode two of the sweet, sweet season two. The Point 99 podcast is a running podcast for runners by runners. If you're new to running, we hope to have topics and discussions that will help you along whatever path your journey is taking. Or for any seasoned runners, maybe some stories that will have you empathising with our experiences, whether it's lessons we've learned during our own journeys, embarrassing stories or heartstring pulling moments. We hope you'll stick with us while we try share some good vibes, motivation and positivity and hopefully we can all have a laugh along the way. Firstly, thank you so, so much for the awesomely epic feedback for episode one. It has genuinely been a massive high point for me knowing you guys enjoyed episode one so much. But I feel most of the praise should really go to Emma Joy for joining me in episode one. And as I did at the end of that episode, I would like to thank Emma once again. Sure, we might be real life friends, but it was a massive favour Emma did for me coming on for episode one. But at the risk of sounding like a broken record, Emma, thank you so, so much. You were absolutely awesome. We could have gone into so much more detail, covered many other things, especially the Loch Ness 24. But you're always welcome back whenever you want to join me. As expected, however, and taking a step back into something that I covered in episode one and what I got up to in the intermission between season one and season two. So I did a little bit of parkrun tourism. In actual fact, it works out really well featuring in episode two because the night before I happened to bump into today's guest at the absolutely epic muse gig at Bella Houston Park. More about that later, but back to parkrun. So as I say, I was going to be in Glasgow uh, for the concert and I thought, well, there's no better opportunity than now to bag myself another parkrun location. Given that up until that point, I'd only ever run the Ulness and Inverness courses. And even then, Inverness has since moved location, which I haven't been to. It's been a good number of years. I was meant to run the most northerly mainland course up at Thurzo a number of weeks ago. Unfortunately, the knee injury stopped that taking place, but I will have to head back up at some point to tick that one off. But where did I choose in Glasgow? Well, I chose Elder Park, mainly because it was quite close to my hotel, although it was a bit of a toss up between Queen's Park, Pollock Park, Elder Park and Victoria Park. Not being one liking a lot of fuss, uh, being a little bit of an introverted extrovert, I kept it quite quiet. I was going to put it up on Instagram as a surprise. Although it wasn't necessarily a secret, it did leak, but I'm so chuffed to have been joined by Nick Knack Matter Runs. It was truly awesome to meet her for the first time properly. I did see her at Edinburgh, But unfortunately, I didn't get the opportunity to meet her in person. So it was pretty epic to have the opportunity this time. I did also pick up some flack for not letting certain individuals know that I was going to be in their neck of the woods. Especially the Glasgow-based members of the Who Dropped the Dibber team. But at the same time, I don't feel too guilty because there was a pre-existing planned parkrun day 
by Ryan over at the Press Play and Run podcast at Livingston. So I think that was more of priority. Anyone that had already signed up to that to really commit to that one. I didn't want to distract anyone from there. But how was Elder Park, I hear you ask? I absolutely adored it. I thought it was such a nice, compact inner city park run. Sure, multiple laps might not be for everyone, but I found it quite pleasant having an out and back park run as my home park run. And with four laps, it could make you a little bit dizzy. The initial lap follows the perimeter of the park. Then on laps two, three and four, there is a variation. So instead of heading around the first corner, you take a sharp right, followed by a sharp left and then another sharp right and head back on the perimeter. Being a fully tarmac park run, it's also very, very quick. The times for first, second and third were truly phenomenal. Actually, thinking back, I seem to recall both first and second and maybe even third may have passed me on the final corner to finish their fourth lap before I'd even finished my third. To the route itself, however, and I'm going to compare it to the Allness course because, in fact, both Elder and Allness feature regularly on some of the fastest park runs in the UK. Being very much used to a grass, compact soil, compact gravel and tarmac course, heading to Elder, where it is purely tarmac, was quite refreshing. And undoubtedly, given the flat nature of the course, it's somewhere you should consider to head to if you're in the area, if you want to knock out a phenomenal personal best. For me, I wasn't there to break any records. Of course, I did that a couple of weekends ago at Allness. I was there to enjoy my run and tick off another location. The race director, volunteers and other runners were all so welcoming with a couple of them actually saying that Allness features at the top of their favourites. On the day, it was a 29th position for me at 23 minutes and 51 seconds. So sure, I was taking it a little bit easier than usual, but at the same time, I wasn't slouching. I'm also pretty sure that Nikki may have absolutely smashed her personal record there, but I would have to double check with her. So will I be going back? Definitely. If I am in the area anytime soon or in the future, I will be making a return. I'll also have to tick off Pollock, Queen's Park and Victoria at some point, but I will definitely be heading back to Elder Park. But once we were done with Parkrun, myself and Nikki did go for a nice leisurely chatty run back to the hotel. So I did get the opportunity to speak to her a bit more. And as I say, I really enjoyed spending time with Nikki. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we can do that again soon as well. For any of the dippers who may have felt a little bit left out because I didn't let you know, I will be running with you very soon as we're about six weeks away from the Loch Ness 24. We may also have a little bit of a parkrun meetup before that takes place. Although my attendance does depend on the location given that I'm so far north. But what else has happened in my world of running since episode one was released? Well, week two of the road to Amsterdam was bagged and tagged with a healthy number of kilometres banked along the way. Sure, the number of kilometres will jump each week, but I'm just going to take it in my stride, take it step by step. 
I was also joined by Chris, whose story featured on episode one for my long run on Sunday. So that was great to have some company and slow me down just that little bit to get a nice, easy paced heart rate. Nestled nicely between the episode's release on Friday and my long run on Sunday, I popped down to the Olness Park Run to help celebrate the 75th anniversary of the NHS and to get one step closer to the 25 park runs. It's really shocking. I'm coming up to my eighth birthday with park run in August and I've only done 23 park runs to date. I do also have 22 park run volunteer merits, but I mean, it is pretty shocking how few I have run, especially given that the start line is less than two kilometers away from my house. Let's just blame it on COVID and lockdown because we seem to do that for everything else. But another two park runs and I will have achieved my 25 run milestone, which means I can upgrade from the apricot to the purple t-shirt. But moreover, I'm also three away from getting my purple volunteer shirt. I am now committed to the cause, another goal on the horizon, so let's get it done. Week three, however, hasn't been anywhere near as strong as week one or week two. At time of recording this section on Thursday, I haven't actually even been out for a single run. I haven't really felt it. I've had a few niggles and I thought I would just take it as it comes. So far, nothing yet. May go for a run today, but I'll definitely be down at this week's park run to bag number 24 and be one away from bagging my 25. But enough about me, let's crack on with this week's guest. My second guest is perhaps one of the most supportive and motivational followers I have not only for the podcast, but also on my own Instagram account. He is a legend in his own right, smashing out a multitude of events across the full running spectrum, from half to full marathons, all the way up to ultras, 50k and beyond. Having only recently smashed the wall, a 68.8 mile or 110 kilometer ultra in under 15 hours. But with only one day until he runs the blades, and I don't mean he's running with scissors, but yet another 50k ultra, I've bagged some of this top class gentleman of the community's time to hopefully not only digest the wall and everything that went into such an awesome performance, but also the things that make Mike tick. From ultras to weights and pole, it's the one and only Mike Houston, the pole fit ultra runner. Mike's just seen how much goes into me recording just a small block of text there. That was great. As I say, there's... uh... That makes me feel so much better about the whole thing. <laughs> the mount that I trip up. I don't even have other Steve anymore to, to be the cause of it. Don't worry. I'm not going to laugh at you for it. So that's fine. <laughs> Are you having a great week though, mate? Yeah, it's uh, pretty much done nothing once we've got back from Monday. Just rest, recovery, eating, everything. I, I think that's well-deserved, though. Eat your body weight and then some. Yeah, although it's it's kind of weird because I think 
I've found marathons, 50Ks, you get pretty hungry after it. After Glasgow to Edinburgh, which was 57 miles last year, got pretty hungry pretty quickly. But this time, I've had moments of absolute starvation. Like There's not enough food in the town. And then quite often followed 30 minutes later by, no, I can't really eat anything. No, it's been very hit or miss. Um, the kind of normal levels of hunger have taken a few days to come back. That must be really difficult because I've not done anything. You know my, I mean, you know my journey. I've not done anything that really serious. I suppose the, the closest is running a marathon, and the first one, I was, I was famished. But then, this the third one, no issue at all. So, it, it, have you found it like significantly more? strange compared to like say a 50k ultra is it just like that much of a of a parallel i think it just depends on the conditions there's so many things with 50 or 70 miles plus that is going to be different every single time you do it yeah you can't as much as you try and prepare for as many eventualities as possible um whether it's on the actual race or how your body's going to react after the race it's just different every single time. You just don't know, which is kind of good. It keeps it fresh. It keeps you kind of exploring and looking into how you're going to react to everything. But it's also hard to pin anything down and really prepare for it properly. Yeah. Yeah, because it is so wildly different. Um, have you been out for your first recovery run yet, though? Are you still still to brave that? I'm on strict orders to not do a single thing for my coach. I've got a running coach this year, um, Fiona Watts. Um, she's been amazing, but she left me a voice note afterwards telling me not to do anything this week. So I'm, quote unquote, not doing the park run at the weekend. <laughs> Thankfully, this will be out, obviously, a few weeks afterwards. So you can kick my ass after. Yeah. But, no, nothing as of yet, just healing. I, I think before we jump into the question, so I, with, with the healing in mind, have you have you found there to be any niggles this week um, after what was a monster of an event? Only one, um, which is really annoying because it's so insignificantly small, but it's my right heel the heel on my right foot which was painful for a good 40 miles mm -hmm. um, but yeah everything else is absolutely fine and my heel's fine not putting shoes on but putting shoes on is an issue that's the only thing do you think one. it's like bruising or yeah i think it's bruising um so we'll probably discuss it in just a moment but yeah, yeah it's because i had no blisters no foot issues nothing like that which was amazing i think it's probably the first event i've done with so little in the way of blistering which is mental considering it's the furthest distance i've ever done but yeah it's just that back heel it just got rubbed raw on the event well you, so did, you did put your feet pictures up there i'm right at my feet now and they <laughs> looked they looked pristine there didn't look to be any issue there at all no. <laughs> Toe socks all the way. <laughs> right. So I think then we'll just we'll crack into question one. Now, Mike has seen these questions in advance. Uh, we're going to 
slightly amend the first one because we have had a, a listener uh, contact and add to the question. Um, but he has he's promised me he's not written anything down. It's all going to be off the top of his dome. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see and see if I can record these without having to say them multiple times. But he knows what to expect. So that's all good. Uh, so to kick things off, I think it would be a mess of me not to tackle the most recent event first, seeing as it's fresh on not only your memory, but also your body, as we've just mentioned. You've also uh, covered various elements of the event, the wall on your Instagram page. But can you give not only myself, but also the listeners some idea of how it felt to smash such a phenomenal distance? But over and above that, can you also give an idea of how the training went, how intense you felt it was or wasn't, and generally a thorough run through of the day from day one of training through to the completion of the event? But then also to mention uh, the addition that Nikki would like me to ask. She is asked that through when you're when you're going through the run through of the actual day, um, did you want to stop at any point? And if so, what kept you going? Oh, um, so I think from the start in terms of training is both it is intense and it isn't intense at the same time. The physical runs, as I say, marathon people we love to compare marathons and ultras like is one harder than the other is one more intense they're just two very different things so i went from training for a 50k pb in march which was a lot more intensive in terms of the actual sessions um you're trying to push a pace trying to keep that pace um kind of not stopping the training for this the physical runs aren't necessarily as intense, even hitting marathon distances, hitting 50Ks, um, followed by 20 milers the next day. It's tough, but it's not, you know, you eat more, you walk more. The general intensity is lower, but the take on your time and the intensity that it adds to your overall lifestyle, trying to fit in work, trying to fit in kids, um, saying hi to my other half every now and then because that's a good thing to do yes <laughs> yeah marathon training can be such a selfish thing at the best of times let alone when you're doing one run one long run a week but now i'm fitting in a 50k followed by 20 miles around the school run and working 48 hours um, she even mentioned herself that at peak weeks uh, she does come second yeah um which I'm very grateful that she is fully invested in this as well for me. Um, she takes it really seriously. She knows how much this means to me. So she doesn't give say that in a, a negative fashion. It's just an objective truth. Yeah. But you do sometimes when you're going through the training, you're going back to work more tired than when you came off, doing runs of six, 10-hour shifts, getting home, having to do hill sprints in whatever weather it is and your next two days off you're going to be spent running eating recovering from running and then prepping your work stuff for the next day it it gets tough just mentally sometimes to try and have a life around it so what you're saying is you go to work for a rest a rest from ultra running 
yeah, a bit more. Well, it would help if it wasn't as much of a physical job. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it does get tough, especially in the peak weeks, those last three, four weeks where it really built up. Um, everything pretty much had to be planned every day to the minutes to get everything in. But that's also partly because I'm a very goal-driven person. Even with 70 miles, I don't just do the event to do the mileage, which is amazing in itself, regardless of what time anyone comes in, um, regardless of what distance anyone does whatever pace. But for me, if I'm pinning a number on and lining up on a start line, I've got a goal. I've got a target. I'm trying to push outside of my comfort zone and ask those questions of myself. But that also requires time to do that effectively. Yeah. So, yeah, the training both was and wasn't intense in equal measure, but went pretty well. As I said, I've used a running coach for the first time this year. Um, last year was quite successful, but I realized there was a lot of stuff I could still improve. So found a running coach and she's put me through my paces. But we've managed to stay consistent across the thing um but yeah training was good to the actual event though um how was how was that almost like a play-by-play -play, uh from 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 the start gun to the sub 15 so race wise my actual goal was sub 14 hours yeah so i didn't hit my my target goal which is fine. I'm still really happy with 15. The first 24 miles were absolutely fine, which you would kind of hope so if you're looking at doing 70. Um, up to the second aid station or the second big pit stop, as they call them at Rat Race at the quarry. Uh, up to 24 miles, it was fine. We had a little bit of elevation starting, but food was going in. Legs felt good. And it was the six-mile section between the quarry and the sill, the next pit stop, which derailed. Thankfully, not just myself. Talking to other people, it derailed a lot of people. That was the one bit, I think, speaking to my other half and the support crew. Um, nobody came into that mile 30 checkpoint looking good, right. which makes me better. Yeah. Um, it's not just me. Because there's 4,000 feet, over 4,000 feet of elevation across the course, which isn't a lot for 70 miles, but about 3,000 feet of it is within a 13-mile stretch. So coming out of that mile 30, yeah, that's it was tough. <sighs> they pack it all in at the first part, and then you've got to try and struggle to the end. Yeah, you've got, what, 40 miles of, there you go. Now run on some long straight roads that last for absolutely ever, with just nothing to distract you. Yeah, but I think it was also quite deceiving because weather-wise, it felt good. There was a breeze; it didn't feel too bad. But I think it just masked the actual intensity of the heat. Uh, Say so multiple people struggled to take in any food after that point. I struggled to take in any food after twenty-four miles, which doesn't help when you've got 46 or so left to go yeah obviously nutrition is a huge part of it taking calories is a huge part of it um well i imagine jaffa cakes 
some Skittles, I think a coffee and some watermelon, along with the tailwind. Not quite optimum uh, athlete intake for the distance, but it got me through. So at, at that point then, did did you think this isn't going well, I'm struggling here and have to push through or did that not really come into your, your, your mind at all? It was just, well, it's not ideal, but we'll just, we'll just soldier on. Um, up to th- it was, it was okay. Like it was just that it was not ideal. I knew that would be the hardest bit, but I underestimated quite how hard because I knew there would be climbs and, some kind of big undulations in that, but I didn't realize that it would feel like you were going up and down 7,000 hills, one after the other. I also wasn't quite prepared for the type of terrain because it's one thing just having to go up and downhill. It's another thing. It wasn't even steps. It's just rocks thrown together. Mm -hmm. Being careful of the footing, going over those styles, over the walls, which is really handy after you've run a marathon distance to now have to like climb over walls. And there was a dozen of those. It was a mix of the terrain and just, it was steep up, steep down, steep up, steep down. And every time you think you've got to the top of anything, right. Surely after a couple of miles of this, I should be getting to the end. There's another one. And then there's another one. So I think the only mistake looking back that I made is I lost concentration as to how I was doing it. So we've all got a dominant side. yeah. And when we're starting to get tired, we will favor that dominant side. However, when you're continually climbing and pushing off, I think that's when my right hip and my right foot had so many issues because I was using that side for the entire thing or for evidently most of that section. So, yeah, the climbs... The climbs did it. I wasn't, I say I wasn't too bad. I felt like crap. Uh, so coming into mile 30, yeah, I was done, but I was okay. I was still actually on track for sub 13 at that point. The pace was still okay. I was still on track for sub 13 coming into Hexham, which is mile 44. But then I'd let everything build up to a point that I had to stop for a good 30 minutes, sit down, uh, try and not cry like a big baby. It's kind of, it's tough when you're going into a checkpoint and you've got, obviously loads of people supporting, not just you, but spectators cheering you in because you've just done 44 miles. That in itself is great. Everyone's like, well done, clapping. I've just got my head down, trying not to cry. Oh, it feels so bad. That's probably. I would. I would like. I would, oh, sorry. No, I wouldn't like to imagine. I would imagine that it's at that point you've you've gone through so much. It must be fairly similar to when you finish a marathon and you're physically drained, and it's hard not to feel like you want to cry, especially when you see people you know, and then yeah. you're seeing these people every pit stop you're coming to and your support crew are there that must just be so hard like you say it must be really difficult not to want to get really emotional and they're asking the relevant like it's as soon as they come to you and say are you okay yeah like just 
I've got nothing against crying, but now is not the time. I've yeah. still got another marathon to run. Yeah. After this, which is soul destroying in itself. Um, but I tried to stretch out. I took a good 30 minutes at Hexham, um, just trying to get my act together. Um, one thing that gets tough with these distances is even in a marathon, it's usually only three, four miles between checkpoints. Three, four miles, you're going to see somebody else. It's a kind of, it's a bigger field. There's other people around. Mm. Like leaving Hexham, already struggling quite a bit. It's 19 miles from then to the next checkpoint. You've not, you know, it's not far off a marathon without seeing your pit crew. I didn't actually realize I was also around 30th in the field at this point. So the field's very stretched out. So there was a good few hours or over the next 10 to 15 miles, I didn't really speak to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, my phone needed charge, so I didn't have music. So there's no music. There's no people. I've got 19 miles in to try and drag my backside to the next pit stop. It's just a very long time to try and compose your head when things are hurting. You know, I'm struggling to take in food. Thankfully, I had Tailwind and Active Root, which were, I think without those, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah. But it's... You, you say it's a long time to, before you see your picture again, but you were supported by the giant uh, in both personality and in height of personal Al. So could you not see him 19 miles away? Well, <laughs> is. And, and the wee drone that he brought with him. Now, it was great knowing that at the pit stops, I would have that support. That is a massive thing in itself. Um, but yeah, I think I put a couple of videos up on my stories around 52 miles in because I wanted to show the not quite so glamorous side that is when you really, as we in the ultra world call it the pain cave, when you get stuck in that place, you're physically hurting, mentally hurting, you're on your own, you're struggling. And it's like, oh, well, I've got another, what, 20 miles of this struggle, you know, and this is, I think, where the training comes in. It's one, one saying that stuck with me from a long time ago is that you do not rise to the level of your expectations. You fall to the level of your training. And through all those sessions leading up to this, this is where it pays off. This is where doing those hill sprints after 10-hour shifts, where it's the last thing I want to do, pays off because you've just finished two marathons back-to-back. -back and I just opened a tiny bag of Skittles to try and eat it, and it started to rain. And so... Can you just give me a break? Like, at least I don't want to see that rainbow. I want to taste this rainbow. <laughs> and I want to cry. So I know what to do. I'll put this on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> but you are, you're really honest with your content. You don't shy away from things like that. And I think that's um, probably one of the biggest reasons I find you really motivational is you, you are honest with everything. There's no... There's no fallacy, kind of. There's no, there's no, no falseness um, behind your content. Um, if there's, if there's a problem on a 
on, on a training run or if it's a problem at an event, you, you tell it how it is. And nobody should hide away from from things don't always go to plan. But Yeah, because I think the struggle is almost glamorized these days. We there are there are so many amazing athletes out there. Um, like Sally McRae, for example, the yellow runner. A lot of people obviously saw her Cocodona two fifty finish not uh, be a couple of months ago now. You know, she had foot issues and how she finished across the finish line bouncing around like an absolute nutcase. Um, you know, and that's absolute goals. These these people are just absolute weapons. And you can see YouTube documentaries of just some of these absolute animals. And I know they're not trying to glamorize the struggle or the pain, but you see them smash out these events. But for us kind of normal folk, you know, that this isn't a career, it's a hobby. It's the pain is going to hit differently. You're going to have to dig maybe I think a little bit deeper. You you know you're going to hurt. You don't know how and you don't know when. And that's that's where the questions get asked. It's kind of, in some way, I think why a lot of us do it, because you know it's going to hurt. It's like, right, well, when it does, how am I going to handle this now? How am I going to continue to take that next step forward? Yeah, because if you can put yourself through that level of punishment, what else, what, what can't you, what can't you do? Because life has, you know, yeah. especially life is there are unknowns coming at us, not necessarily physically, financially, mentally, relationships, kids, work, mental health, etc. You know, we get things coming at us left, right, and center, but you don't have a choice to stop. You don't have a choice to scrap that finish. Well, you do, but hopefully we don't have a choice to scrap that finish line. But it's if you can train yourself to just keep going forward when it gets to that point, kind of pushing better. So this is kind of an extreme training for life, almost some parallels with how it hits you. But going to the finish line, you you mentioned there, the video you put up, I think it was just last night. That was a really strong finish, but it was, it was like a parallel of you powered through across the bridge and you got to the finish line and you stopped, you stopped dead and just like, I'm done. I'm done now. That's it. I, I can just stop. But then in addition to that, and it was, I'm pretty sure it was Al that had this up. He had a video of you walking away um, and you had a little limp, but it was like, you'd not, it's like you'd not just run the, the distance of two marathons. Plus you just, that's just a little limp. Uh, that was pretty much because of my heel. Yeah. Uh, that's the most frustrating point. And the other the thing with that is I probably could have negated that. So, you know, case in point, always learn from these events. If at mile 44, I'd have taken some time to maybe take a buff or something like that, pad my heel in my shoe before carrying on, I could probably have A, finished faster, but B, helped some of that pain. But I'll know for next time. Yeah. But- Although I was doubting if there ever would be a next time halfway through it, but there will be a next time. Um, so yeah, I was fine. The finish line though was amazing. That last half a mile in Newcastle, you've got all the pubs and clubs on the waterfront are packed with people. And while we don't have our names on our numbers, they're calling out your name because they've all got the app. So they're seeing people come through, they're seeing who you are. 
So you've just got these crowds of people just cheering you through this last half a mile. And the adrenaline boost that that gives you, just like you can't do anything but, you know, for just that moment in time, the pain subsided enough. It's like, just get this done. And I think I ran past, there's a couple that were actually sitting on the bridge that clapped and said, well done. And I think I just shouted back at them, just let this be done. <laughs> See that finish line. It's just like, it's time, it's over, it's done. Just cross it. And then you can stop. And that adrenaline boost didn't make you want to cry again. Um, I, again, when you've got those levels of people cheering your name, especially when you're spent to, to the level that you would have been spent, was there, was there enough left in your tank to actually cry anyway? Um, I think I probably could have cried, but no, I wasn't. I wasn't that emotional after it. It was. I think there was an, such an overwhelming level of relief that I was actually more emotional last year after Glasgow to Edinburgh, which was fifty-seven miles, um, than I was on this one. Is is that for any reason? Is it because it was more home territory, or just? because it was fairly new still at that time. I think when I did that, that was 57 miles. They say it's 56. It's not 56, it's 57. That mile makes a big difference to anyone actually doing GTE. It's 57. Um, I think before that, my longest run had been 36 miles. So there was a big difference between 36 and 57. And then there's 13 miles difference between that and now this. So I'm a little bit more not acclimatized, but I've experienced close to this. And I think because I was so emotional in the mid part and then I've pushed through it, probably a little bit more numb to uh to feeling that this time. No, certainly it's it's a hell of a it's a hell of a distance to go. And like I say, from all the, the footage that either you've put out or I'll put out, it just looked almost you might not have got your goal, but still 15, sub 15 hours. It's like a masterclass in self-abuse. <laughs> yeah. Looking at it, honestly, make, like changing just a couple of things, a little bit better foot care, a little bit better um, conscious decisions on how I tackle certain terrain. Um, a little bit of strengthening with the hips that I'll put into and adapt my training with. I reckon I could get sub-13 on that same course. And I don't do that to devalue what I've just done. I'm really happy with what I've just done and the resilience that I showed. Because at some point, like both of your feet just feel like they've been hit with hammers when you're trying to run. They just feel bruised. Um, just walking forward hurts. So I'm really happy with the resilience and how everything went, but I could do better. There's... That's that's like you said at the beginning. Though that was your goal is time. Your goal is is getting those achievements. Um, so you're going you're going back. Maybe one day, uh, not next year. I've already got an 82 mile event planned in that's been deferred from previous years around this time of the year, so I won't be able to do it. Um, which is actually very local, uh, Dundee to Aberdeen coastal route, which will be uh, 
good fun. It's always good fun when it's a year away. <laughs> Sitting down, relaxing, not even having to think about training. Uh, I wouldn't have to think about accommodation either, so that'd be a lot easier. Um, so I probably will go back one day. Um, but we'll give it some time. I think the great thing is with ultras is that it's becoming such a, a more widely known thing now that there are events popping up everywhere. There are amazing events all over the country. So as much as there are things that I would like to do again, I also want to experience so many other things. Um, I just have to find a way to quit my job and be a, a sponsored athlete. Really? That's, that's the dream, isn't it? That's the dream. Dream. I mean, I'd probably end up injured within the second week and it'd be a right struggle, but... <laughs> we'll, we'll jump on to question two now. I think you've, you've mentioned strength and, and bits there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slightly change up this question because, as, as we said, you've seen them already. Um, but we, we're, we're not going to talk about ultra running super intensely. We're, we are going to go back to it uh, in a couple of questions time. Um, but I wanted to, to cover something that's in your handle, um, but in the preparation for your training for the wall, uh, we didn't really see so much of pole fit. No. Uh, and especially with weights as well, because your content for, for a long time was pole fit and weights, and you're talking about strength there. Are we going to see a return to pole fit now that you've, you've finished the, the biggest block of, of training for the wall, or is that now taking slightly more of a backseat? I will, I will go back to to the classes. Um, I don't think I've been in a good couple of months. Um, I have actually been in the last couple of months, but I didn't post anything up because I didn't really do anything <laughs> in those classes. Um, sometimes there are just classes or times I'll go to poll, whatever, that nothing happens. So there's nothing to post up about it. Um, but yeah, I'll be back. But it's kind of it's one of those things that poll used to be something I posted more because I thought felt it was always more interesting to see than running. You know, it's more interesting than seeing me try and do a flag or something off a pole rather than a picture of my sweaty face. They <laughs> run like, but obviously I have kind of changed gears a little bit, and now my my overall emphasis is far more on running and trying to provide maybe a bit more of an overview onto that ultra journey and ev everything that goes behind it. I will definitely be back at pole. It is still a really fun thing to do, but I think a lot of followers that I've attracted in the last two months probably haven't seen really any of that. So it'll be interesting to see what some of the newer kind of followers I mean think. Believe me, Mike, if they're like me, they've scrolled through your content and seen that badass, the, the photo, that photo shoot in front of the pole, the jeans on. That just looks like you're a hitman from like some action film or something. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I'm probably going to be more self-conscious because I've done that. Um, because I did manage to get to a point that I was actually happy with how I looked, which is not something that happens often in my life, um, being very, very self-critical that I am. Um, yeah, I managed to get to a point I looked pretty good, especially for that pole shoot. And obviously being a pole shoot, there's a bit of editing and stuff as well behind it. But I don't quite, I look a lot softer around the edges thanks to ultra training now. I'm not quite as defined 
as I was. There was a question I had uh, from a friend, the, the chap I've been training just the other night, and we were talking while we we're running. So I like to distract him so he's not thinking about mm. what he's currently, his current pains. And he asked me, what's the difference between a marathon runner and an ultra runner? I think the easiest way of describing it to him was a marathon runner, you would be very, very selective of what you eat, when you eat it and how much you eat. But an ultra runner, effectively, it's it's a day out at a buffet. You can eat eat pretty much all the time when you're running. And he's like, really? I'm like, well, not quite. But yeah, they can they can go a little bit more to town. Yeah, I I am still quite focused on protein levels, um, electrolytes, supplements. I'm quite kind of tunnel visioned with that. But there are definite things that I make sure I have in in what I eat, but the rest of it, a calorie is a calorie. I'm going to be burning plenty calories. I think, what, 8,000 calories that the wall had me burning off. Um, yeah, you have to take in the food. But that's that's an insane amount of calories. That's like, what, four days, nearly four days worth of, a, of an average male's calorie intake? Yeah, I mean, for myself, I usually target three to 4,000 a day anyway. Um, so maybe a couple of days for me. <laughs> the human. No, I certainly definitely like to, to see a little bit more return to pull fit because it's, it's something you don't, you don't Now you'll, you'll see it from the pull fit community. It's not something you see a lot of guys doing, or maybe, no. maybe that's a, maybe that's not so much true, but you don't see so many guys posting about it if they are doing it. No, it is very female bias, not bias, but, um, it's very tipped in the scales in the way of females to males. Uh, for a long time, I've been going to the studio here in our growth for three years, uh, 2020, so three, three and a half years. Um, and up until, actually, I really think this year, I was the only guy at the studio. So you'll go around and you'll maybe get one guy at a studio. If it's a popular studio, maybe two or so. Um, but it's definitely not as popular in the male side of it. But then if you look at things like calisthenics and gymnastics, it's kind of the same thing, mm. but with probably less clothes on. Um, but the thing is you you need less clothes on. So I know a lot of people will comment, it's like, you've not, you're not really wearing much, et cetera. I was like, well, you can't. You try and climb a shiny chrome type pole in clothing you'll slip right off you can't hold anything so skin the different different grip aids skin grip kind of leverage points that you'll use for it so some things look a lot more difficult than they actually are because there's a lot of leverage and technique um unless you're doing flags which is pretty much my go-to yeah, I was going to say flags. That's just a feat of strength. And I remember seeing, um, I don't know his name. You might know his name because I, I'm, I'm assuming he learned how to do it through pole fit. <laughs> and this is, this is one for anyone with kids. I know it for strange reasons. But the guy that used to be on, was it Lazy Town? The, the kids program, the girl with the pink hair and the Frenchman with the twiddly moustache. And he, yeah. he he did it at the London Marathon where he was he was starting the event and he did the flag at the beginning and it's just it's just so amazing to see that level of strength that someone can do that. Yeah, 
to be honest, I built that up before I actually started pole. I even before running, I was very much a gym goer. Um, so I was hitting the gym five, six days a week for an hour and a half a time, um, trying to run away from life's problems, evidently at the time. Um, so I had a lot of strength coming into it anyway, which helped. But yeah, um, I'm definitely not one of these flexible types. A lot of people think, oh, you do pole, so you must be really flexible. No. No, I don't <laughs> at all. And in terms of running, I don't really stretch. I do bits of yoga, but I don't I don't do anywhere near what I probably should do. So don't do it everything that I do for this. Yeah, I, I would say I think everyone knows I'm the same. I don't stretch uh, as much as I should, and I'm try. I was trying to instill the good advice into Chris while training him of you need to stretch, we need to warm up, we need to do this, and if anything, it's beneficial to me to teach him to do that because it becomes a norm for me. But then coming home, use the foam roller. Nah, I'll I'll just sit in front of the computer. That'll be much better. A foam roller is a medieval torture device. So we're recording. We're recording this um ahead of your next uh your next event but it's like weeks away uh but when this comes out it's actually going to be one one day one day away so run the blades 50k ultra uh <laughs> saturday the 15th of july um so this this is coming out on the 14th um but we're we're quite a few weeks ahead of this just to to really get some it's members of your cult that are to blame for me actually signing up for blades because Quite a few of the dibbers um, doing the 50k event. I just say, oh, go on then. So I blame you guys. <laughs> there, there's certainly uh, a lot of FOMO between the between the community there. Not so much with myself. Um, I, I my brother's done the blades, and I would love to do it, but at yeah, the same time, sod that. It's an event now. that I never thought I would ever do again. Um, but I think it's one that I need to maybe get a little bit of closure on after the last time I have done it before. Um, it's my first and worst ultra and experience. So it, it taught me a lot of lessons of how not to do everything. So maybe I can go back and hopefully do everything correctly this time and not cry when I cross the finish line. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> so that's, that's it's effectively you're saying that's similar with my story with Edinburgh. I had to I had to get closure. See that would be that would be good for you though. That'd be that'll be good for if, if anything else, the, the the memory. Yeah, I mean the first time I did it, it actually did serve a really good purpose because as much as we we hate having these poor events um, and it was a very large slice of humble pie when I did it. I went in maybe a little bit cockier than I should have done. Um, I felt that if I, because I did Sterling Marathon a few months before it, I didn't train for that because of injuries. I did that after a, the more 10K, and that went well. Um, I did that in three hours and 50. So that was a good first marathon under all those conditions. But that led me to a very false sense of security coming into this. Still not really trained for anything. Injured, fatigued, and did everything wrong. And it let me know. Um, yeah, there was a lot of tears when I crossed the finish line. A lot of pain of my own doing. 
So it was a very large slice of humble pie doing that event. But it's the best thing that could have happened. The lessons that I've learned from that have pretty much changed the trajectory of every event and ultra from then. So I think if that hadn't have been as bad as it was, I probably wouldn't be in as good a place as I am now because of it. So as much as I hated it, I'm kind of thankful for it. But I still need to close the lid, even though I hate wind turbines and the sound that they make. I will go back and get some closure. I was going to channel uh, Runner Man Steve there and say you disrespected the distance, didn't you? I disrespected everything about it. <laughs> um, I trained with equipment that I'd never used. I'd never ran with a hydration. Well, I didn't do any training because of injuries of work. So I didn't get a chance to use a hydration pack. Um, didn't really eat. Didn't stop at any checkpoints. I went off at faster than marathon pace. Yeah, it, it's no wonder that 14 miles in, I was then walking in a lot of pain. Oh, I, oh am I, I am missing Steve here because he would be he would be full of something now. But that's, I mean, it does, does show anyone listening, you're absolutely smashing out crazy distances now. But even, even from your, uh, how, how you started off, we all disrespect distances to some degree. Um, we don't do everything that we maybe should do. The polished documentaries on YouTube when you're sitting down, having a beer, relaxing and getting hype with this, as we said, this glorified kind of struggle side of it. And you don't actually understand how the struggle is going to hit you until you do the thing. But when it does, it's not quite as glamorous as it was when you were watching somebody else go through it. But yeah, the the level of progress from it. So I that the first time I did that was six hours and thirteen, which is not a bad time for fifty k. Um, but considering now my PB that I set this year is four hours and forty, so I've gone from an eleven twenty eight minute per mile average to nine. And Glasgow to Edinburgh last year was an 11.18 minute per mile. So I know I can do almost double the distance at a faster pace. Um, there's been a huge amount of progress through the last kind of four years since I last did it, pretty much because of the lessons I learned from it. So silver linings. Definitely. But before, before we, I, you've mentioned a lot for what we, we've containing in question four, but uh, to kind of finish off on, on the blades, can you give us a run through of what the night before entails for you, what you might be thinking or feeling, uh, any last minute preparation that you might be doing? A 50K, not too much, um, especially now I'm used to longer distances where you've got 7,000 bits of kit and you're sorting nutrition into 17 different bags. Um, it's actually quite refreshing to do a marathon or a 50K. It's just like, yeah, I'll just grab a few gels. I've got a little bit of kit and just don't go off stupidly fast. So I'm not aiming for a PB. It doesn't mean I won't. Um, I am one of those I will tell people for weeks this is just a nice, easy, smooth run. When I'm on the start line, it will change. Like, I will go. 
once that guy says go, I will go. Um, but because I know I don't need to have a PB at this event, it literally is just for closure. I just want a nice, smooth event that I don't cry at the end of. Um, I'm not too too worried. You know, I've done 50K training runs already this year as part of the wall. I've already set my PB at the D33 in Aberdeen in March. So I'll literally just be a case of relaxing. That and because this is pretty much just in a day off during the week. I've not got any special time planned off for this. Much like with D33, I was back at work at six o'clock the next morning. Um, I'll be working till later on on Friday. I'll do this on the Saturday. I'll be back at work on Sunday. It, just another run. <laughs> as much as some people might hate hearing that with it being 50k, not 5k, but it's just another run at this point. If it was a PB attempt that I'd specifically trained for, um, then I do try and look out some kind of motivational content just to get the mind in that place. Like you're going to push, you're going to hurt, kind of embrace it kind of thing. So it's more just a mindset type of thing. And what's your coach saying about the blades? Does she know about it? Is, is it just you going for a run in the park? <laughs> no, she knows. I chugged in last minute. The thing is, uh, Fiona's done... She, uh, she managed to podium in her first three ultras. So she's not just a coach, but she's podium in ultras. She understands the kind of level of insanity that um, you have to kind of automatically have to do it. I mean, she accepted me at the start of this year saying, right, you've got nine weeks to get me to a 50k PB coming off a two-month injury. Let's go. And her words were pretty much, okay, well, it's going to hurt, but as long as you're able to embrace it, let's go. So she's more than up for chucking me in at the deep end. And I think through this year, she's got a good handle to know that I'm mental enough that I will just go. So it's it's not ideal being this close to the wall. Loch Ness is still the next big goal, but it's fine. It's fine. It'll be a good day out with some of the crew. Yeah, social outing for you. Nice social outing. All right, let's get on to question four, and then we'll we'll tackle. We're not quick fire fit, not not quick fire questions, but we will come back to uh, the Loch Ness twenty four. I didn't specifically write a question on that though, but uh, um, I know that um, not only myself but Brian be quite keen to to get recordings of you at the event and and uh, a live update of how that's going. Just not when I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> right. So for question four. Uh, you've mentioned it a number of times throughout the interview so far, but it wouldn't be right of me not to address something that you've told me directly that you're quite happily to, uh, happy to talk about. Yeah. And you cover in your stories and content generally, and that's mental health. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a story about your, or a little bit of a history, sorry, about your mental health, how running weights, pull fit, um, or anything in that sh kind of shape or form help or hinder your own mental health? Um, so I've had in one way an unfortunate kind of history with mental health It is something that has been quite a big part of my life from a very early age. Um, but I'm now 
flipping that round and thinking that I'm very fortunate for having had the experiences that I've been able to have. Um, while I would never wish them on anyone and I would never ever want to suffer anything like that again, I think what I've been through has kind of given me insight that you just can't get any other way. You know, you can get all your textbooks telling you how to speak to somebody with psychological issues unless you've been through those dark spots, you know, unless you felt that tug towards the edge, you know, struggled with alcohol and stuff like this. You don't quite know when somebody says I'm struggling with this, what they mean, but hopefully I'm able to use some of that experience from just a long history of bullying, unfortunately, through much of my school time, leading me to be just a just a very scared human. Uh, massive selfish self-image issues, um, self-confidence, kind of pretty much hated who I was, life, people. That doesn't always change, actually, people working in retail. But I spent a long time hating myself, almost trying to give myself mantras, not for good things, but to try and squash any hope that I might have because it's always harder when other people squash it afterwards. So spending years trying to tell myself that I would live and die alone because I'm too ugly for anybody to want. Thankfully, that's not been the case. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's just, just a dark, kind of lonely patch. And I am a very introverted person. I do need my alone time. Um, but, yeah, just a lot of struggles, suicidality, alcohol abuse, um, self-harm, just the whole plethora, mental breakdowns, panic attacks. I've unfortunately experienced it. But now I'm able to use that and help my other half with kind of anxiety issues that she goes through. I've used it to help members of staff, being a store manager, helping staff beneath me with things that they go through. Um, as we say, people like Al, who is currently going through a lot, and Al's a fantastic person that does a lot with the community, um, trying to kind of help him in any way that I can do. So I just try and, and it's not that everybody that struggles has to be vocal or everybody that struggles has to put their message out. But if you're able to, there is a good chance that somebody's going to connect with it. So that's yeah. kind of my main goal. Plus, I've not got an issue anymore. A lot of the issues that I have had, I've now reconciled, you know, I've come to terms with. They don't hold that kind of energy anymore. So especially hitting the gym, I used to do a lot of MMA and Thai boxing back in the day. I went from that, uh, as I say, gym work, the, the five, six, seven days a week, just beasting myself every day to build because I really wasn't this person. I, wa I was a lot smaller than I am now. Um, I built that through a dislike of who I was. So the kind of fitness journey started because I didn't like who I was. Um, but I did realize it wouldn't change if I didn't change, if I didn't do anything. But now I generally use pole and running to push my limits because I do like 
kind of who I am. And I do realize that I've got a lot of kind of better qualities than previously thought. So they're not, they're not coping mechanisms. They are now mechanisms that you use because you've overcome a lot of the demons. And I, I, personally experienced a lot of bullying as well, especially secondary school early years uh, for similar sounding reasons as well. And it does it, it does take a big hit on on a young person's um, confidence, um, I think. But you're it's, it's good to, to hear you see you're, you're not it doesn't sound like you're using it as a coping mechanism. You're using it as as a mechanism for self-improvement. Uh, because you are a little bit more comfortable with who you are because you've you've let's say you've used the MMA to to beat up the idea of the bullies and 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 the, the past that's come before yeah I think most of what I do kind of forces me to lean into being uncomfortable um from somebody that was so extremely kind of self-image aware putting up whole pictures where I'm not wearing a huge amount is a really scary thing to do. Um, being that kind of loner for many, many years, especially moving up to Scotland from Birmingham down south like 12 years ago, I don't know anyone up here. Well, I didn't for a long time. Kind of even these days, putting up stories where I'm talking into a phone I do feel like such a twat at times doing it. It's like, who cares? Like, you feel so awkward running and talking into a phone, and who does care? But the crazy thing is, some people do. So, kind of, whether it's the pain of the ultra distances, whether it's the small things like putting on a recorded video on a story, um, putting a picture up in poll, all of these things are kind of a bit more exposing. Um, none of them are comfortable. And quite a lot of them scare the bejesus out of me to do, even uploading stories at any point now, even though I have done it for a few months. It gets a little bit easier, but it doesn't always necessarily get a bit more comfortable. Um, but I kind of make myself do it. The fact that it isn't comfortable, probably means it's something that I still need to make sure I do to make sure I control me, not rigors and trauma of the past. And then hopefully other people can find... I've always just thought if there's even just one or two people out there that find any sort of encouragement or inspiration from anything I could do, then that's a win. If we all inspire one or two people, we win. That's it's certainly, um, I've had this conversation with uh, who, who will actually be our first uh, our first guest, but other members of the community as well, that one of my biggest dislikes of social media is, and it's, it's, it's a mixture of both both main genders and, 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 and any other chosen uh, variation of gender, of when people put up photos to get attention by wearing very little. Um, it, to me um, takes away from those that are putting up photos like yourself because they've had issues with body image and it's and it's it's to show that, um, a big leap forward in confidence and you're not looking for attention you're not looking for likes you're doing it for you but 
it almost gets tarred with the same brush of, of look that person they're doing it for likes yeah i think looking at it objectively obviously i'm not in bad shape i kind of do understand that because i have trained for years um quite disciplined and diligently so yeah i'm not in necessarily bad shape so there probably will be people that will still look at all this stuff and go yeah talk about self-image issues but there's a lot of people that would love to look like that and we can all look at a group of people and want to be like that in some capacity whether it's confidence or image or abilities um but yeah i think there's definitely a lot more uh lack of confidence under the surface than people might because especially being a store manager as well i'm used to having to project whether i feel it or not you know it's it's never comfortable for me to hold staff meetings or to deal with various levels of confrontation with the general public you kind of have to do it kind of as we said the situations in life you don't get a choice to back out of so just kind of learn to put on that poker face and deal with it. But yeah, it's, it's still very much always a game in process. Yeah. So they're, they're looking, they're looking and cause we're doing this through video. They're looking at your body, but mm-hmm. they're not looking inside what's in the mind. Right. And I think for for anything that, that Mike's just covered there, cause I could, I could happily just listen to you for hours, Mike. I think this is, probably the quietest I've been on any interview so far, but I'm just, I'm really enjoying listening about ultra. I'm listening, enjoying about pole fit and mental health. If you do have any issue with mental health and you do want to speak to someone and you're not comfortable to, to speak to a professional at at your current level, there are members of the community that are going through their own struggle, but they're also there for everyone else. So you've, you have your likes of Mike and uh, personal Al, their DMs are open. My DMs are open. Um, and it might take a little while for sometimes for you to get a response, but there are people there that will listen. And sometimes that's all it takes is, is someone to listen to you yeah. um, and, and normalize that we all, we all have our difficulties. Um, but if we're just a little bit friendlier to one another, it does make such a big difference. I think also one of the biggest points I've been thinking of recently is, you know, we're trying to push people to talk more. We're trying to lower the stigma on mental health, which 100% needs to happen. But I think we also need to be very aware of how we help other people and especially how while there is a great opportunity with the likes of Instagram, and all these social platforms to help more people. Um, Sometimes written word in its black and white format can be interpreted in so many ways. We just need to be careful, even from very well-meaning places, on how we do actually help people as well. Yeah. Um, And obviously this isn't aimed at really anyone, and we don't want anyone to stop. But if anyone struggles with not just themselves, but how to help somebody else, whether it's a partner or a friend, and they just, they don't know what to do. I think it's worth asking somebody that you feel might know how to connect, because sometimes connecting in the wrong way can be just as damaging as not connecting at all. Yeah. Or the good old throw out a, uh, a positive motivational quote. It's one, the other, it's like, that doesn't always help. 
I mean, no, you're you're correct though. The 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 text based format, and it's the same. It's the same in any situation, whether it's mental health or whether it's a, a working environment. Mm. Words can be interpreted in a multitude of different ways. So, yeah, you're right. If you if you is currently in a very dark place, you've got to understand that anything you say is probably going to be translated from that dark place and dark viewpoint. Yeah. So audio notes, audio notes are good. But then again, we all have different accents. Accents can be interpreted different ways. But um, I, I, I have I have a number of friends that, um, that go through a bit of a roller coaster of of um, of a time with mental health. So I, I appreciate that what you're saying is actually spot on is quite often if, if someone can interpret something out of a piece of written text, they will interpret out of it because that's what their mind's telling them they want to read out of it. It takes a lot of patience. Yeah. But I, I think we'll, 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 we'll I'll probably put a, a warning on top of this episode as well. But um, there are, there are people you can speak to their phone, like phone numbers. You can, you can also contact specialists you can speak to, but um, before we dwell on it too much and depress anyone too much, uh, let's move on to question five, which is kind of like the finale of, of, of the interview. But as I say, I could, I could just happily listen to you for, for hours, Mike, and um, all being well, we'll meet up with, with you tomorrow and I'll listen to you singing for hours so uh, and uh, there's always after Loch Ness 24 I'm sure there'll be plenty of that. certainly will be there will be um, so let's let's finish off with some uh, general chat about events that have come and gone and those that are still to come uh, while also avoiding um, some of our good friend and the host of the press play and run podcasts uh quick fire questions that was hard to say um but yeah we're not going to try and uh, do it in ryan's format but i wanted to cover some of uh maybe questions that a lot of people might ask and uh and we'll see we'll see how how you answer these and how we kind of flow from here but just kind of finish off the interview so we'll start off with uh, what was your favorite event today and and if so what uh, why was it your favorite uh, my favourite has got to be the Moor Marathon. That's M H O R. Um, just the event is held so well. Uh, it's obviously not a big city marathon, but it feels very personal. It's really well run. The atmosphere is amazing. It's set in an amazing location in uh, central Scotland. It's quite a tough marathon. It's like 2,500 feet. Um, it is weirdly my pb course currently somehow so i think i maybe need to hit a flat city marathon to see what i can do but no the more marathon is hands down i think one of the best like events overall so far least favorite blades uh <laughs> it's, it's kind of it's one of one of two if we're talking from an actual running experience, run the blades, but that was more because of me than the event. Um, I think the other one might well have been the Falkirk 33 at the start of last year, uh, which was pretty much eight four-mile loops around, I think it's it, Calendar Park in Falkirk, uh, set at the start of February. So there was snow, wind, rain. It was freezing cold. 
I don't like running in the cold because I've got Raynaud's and I lose feeling in my toes and my hands. Um, I was I was glad for that to be done, <laughs> especially going into laps six, seven, and eight. Just say, just finish me. Having a brother who suffers from Raynaud's as well, and he is also an ultra runner. It's um, it doesn't look like a pleasant. Um, a pleasant thing to have for anyone that doesn't know it it affects um, the circulation to your extremities uh, so if you're running a uh, running an ultra in uh, in probably one of the coldest times of the year that sounds like real good fun i mean i've told myself three times now that i'm never going to do another winter event and for some reason they keep getting longer and longer <laughs> and so does the winter training <laughs> although i only did four weeks of training for full kirk so that was fine I'll I'll do a little bit of training before winter, and then just hope that carries me through. Like we said with um, <laughs> with Hannah's uh, not training for marathons, what works for Mike doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it as well. Yeah, not not if you want to run faster. <laughs> right, biggest goal you still have on your running or sporting bucket list. This is tough because the goal constantly changes. Um, the goal was to get into a 100-miler um, or to complete a 100-mile event, especially things like the West Highland Way is on the bucket list, although the annoying thing is that's not 100 miles, so I wouldn't be able to stop at that. But I'm now looking at some other things like a backyard ultra. Maybe I think we could do some damage probably more so to myself than anything else with that. Um, the race across, race across Scotland, 215 miler, maybe in the future. Um, so 100 miles was the target for many years. Now I'm creeping up to that point. It's just like, ah, let's just double it. Let's just... The, goal, the goal keeps creeping as well. Yeah, always moving the goalpost to keep pushing and having something else to aim for but there's no other no other goals in and away from ultra running for like say pole or weights no not just no never say never in the future but those things are more just accessories to i think because ultra running takes so much time and has so much emphasis on it it's good to have a couple of things that uh, a lot of just lighter in nature that I don't just I don't have to beast myself with. Add the CrossFit element to your training. Yeah. If money and travel were no issue, what event in the world would you like to tackle and why? It can be anywhere. Or if the event no longer takes place, what event would you have loved to have done? Uh, there's quite a few. I think there's actually a couple of marathons. I think most people probably expect me to do some mad like 5,000-mile ultra. Um, but I'm not like that guy running across Africa just now. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of marathons that look to be in amazing places. There's one set in Iceland, around the volcanic rims in Iceland. Um, there's one set on the Great Wall of China which would be extremely difficult because there's a lot of steps in that, but you pretty much go along the wall. Um, I don't know if it's still held. I believe it still is, but uh, those couple of marathons or locations just 
incredible places. Uh, maybe the UTMB, the 100 from Chamonix, um, but that's also a very hard race to get into. So maybe those three, maybe a couple in America, Tahoe 200, maybe Cocodona 250, who knows? So you, you like the exotic locations, but also the the the, the good ones for medals the, the, and stories. Let's say uh, Control Alt Delis, um Midnight Midnight Sun Run, the marathon up in Norway. That sort of that sort of take is is what kind of floats your boat, yeah. Yeah, if I'm because obviously I've done the distance, so I don't need to go abroad to cover the mileage. So if I'm going to do an event abroad there has to be a, like an experience level to it more so. So I'll, yeah. I'll get the mileage in while I'm here and then maybe at some point in the future when my son's a bit older and I maybe have time. I think that's a good way to do the miles at home and go for the memories. Mm-hmm. Um, as an endurance runner, uh, have you heard of, now I'm going to say it's pronounced the Bislet 24 Challenge? It's held in Oslo. Uh, have you heard of it? And if you have, would you consider doing it? I, when you first sent it, I hadn't. But when I actually looked into it, I think I have seen posts around it. The the underground track twenty four. I've seen a lot of track twenty fours. Obviously, trying to keep up with the the ultra community. There's a lot of uh, ultra events around the track. Um, yeah, I'd consider it. Um, I don't know when, but yeah, I think a track 24 is just a different level of challenge. So maybe one day. there was a really good YouTube video on it. And that's the only reason I know, um, because I, I do have an interest in, in doing an ultra at some point. And I think it was on the run up to the first Loch Ness 24, uh, as cookies love to do, they, 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 point things in your direction as soon as you're searching and the Bizlet 24 hour challenge came up. The only difference I, I think between, let's say that and the Loch Ness 24 is it is in a track, like you say, it's in a basement and you have this very clinical white wall, red track for 24 hours round and round and round. Whereas the next question, uh, Loch Ness 24, it is, it's in nature. You've got the fresh air, you've got the birds, you've got other competitors. Um, you've got the changing scenery light of the day. Um, so with, with, with Loch Ness being probably, as you say, your next big uh, challenge, how many laps are you looking to, to knock out sort of mileage wise? Um, and, all of them. Uh, all of them. <laughs> um, I'm going to try and use it to see if we can challenge a hundred miles in 24 hours. Uh, the wall was always a litmus test, and I always felt if I could do the wall in seven, in fourteen or fifteen hours, I think it puts me in good stead to maybe be able to tackle a hundred. Um, could I do another thirty miles in another nine hours? Obviously, mathematically, yes, but those thirty take a big toll. Could I do another thirty miles last Saturday? Probably not. Um, I would say some good lessons learned from that that I can now take into Loch Ness. So yeah, I uh, if you'd have asked me during the wall, I'd have said categorically no. Um, and this kind of feeds back into Nikki's question, which I didn't 
actually quite address. There was no point that I wanted to stop and quit. I wanted to, the pain to stop. But when, when I'm struggling in an event, I generally don't, or not yet, have I ever concretely wanted to back out of that event. I know I will get to the end of that event. But what I will do is look at all the other events I've got signed up and cancel those in advance while I'm suffering now yeah. until I've settled down a few days after and go, it's fine, we didn't die, just heal, and then I'll go and struggle again in two months' time. Um, so during the war, I was I was reducing it just to a long picnic, and maybe I'd get 50 or 70. But now I've had a few days to rest. Um, yeah, I think we could challenge 100. You very well might see some tears and some struggle. But the the great thing is I'm not going to have to carry anywhere near any of the kit. And there's going to be pit crew every four miles, every lap. Um, there's about 17,000 who dropped the Dibber teams entering. Um, so, And especially after meeting them after the, uh, the wall, met quite a lot of people, Emily, Kaylee, briefly, Nikki, Ryan, um, quite a few of the others, Susan, etc. Apologies if I've missed anyone else. Um, but actually getting to meet everybody on the Sunday and knowing that quite a few of these people will be there as well. Kind of some of the most amazing people out there. Like, Are you joining us on the Friday night before? Yeah, I'll be there on the Friday. So okay. I'll maybe get a camper van. Um, we'll be there on the Friday. I will probably be a little bit quieter because I will be this is my last event this year at this point. Um, and I've been training hard since the start of the year. So kind of all roads are leading to Loch Ness. Mm. So this is where it's kind of do or die. I will run and die on that hill if I have to, but sod it. Let's go. So I'm, you- I'll get, um, I will be... I think one tactic that I'm thinking of, knowing how hungry Emily gets now, as she said, is I will steal Emily's food and run because she will probably run after me. So that will make me do laps. <laughs> so I will, every lap, steal somebody's sausage roll and bolt because I'll have to charge away. Well, I think you'll you'll definitely enjoy the event. I, I'm just hoping we get good weather for it I, again. It's only... As you just kind of pointed out there, it's almost just two months away. It's getting close now. Um, the, less, yeah. six, seven weeks. Well, when this comes out, the the Sunday after, so the, after you finished your your ultra with uh, with the girls, Lee and uh, now, who else is coming up? That's she's going to kill me now. Lee and Elodie are coming up um, to to meet myself and Lorna. Uh, so we're going to do a bit of a recce of the course. And Lee knows it. Myself and Lorna know it. But it's going to be fresh for Elodie. So we'll uh, we'll we'll uh, furnish you with the videos uh, of what to expect because there is a little bit of a secret killer hill that I haven't uh, given away too much about and. Maybe gives a little bit of way, way now, but uh, yeah, we'll have we'll have some information for you. One killer hill's fine. I've I can handle that after last weekend. Um, 
it's when it's put back to back. That's the struggle. So that'll actually be quite good because it'll change change the muscles that we use them and it'll add a little bit of a break. So I'll probably spend the first kind of six hours finding a groove of where I'll run, where I'll walk, um, finding a tempo, and then just go. There's going to be no sleeping, um, not too much stopping. If I have food, I'll probably grab it and continue walking. Um, I won't really sit down for too much more than 15, 20 minutes at a time. Just 24 hours of moving. I'll be spot on. It'll be really good. And as the... Uh... Sorry, I spoke over you there. What did you say? <laughs> Who knows? We might even uh, go challenge the course record if we set a pace. Well, that was going to be that was going to be something I mentioned. So last year we had Johnny Wolf won. Um, I'm not sh- entirely sure how many laps he did. Um, John Shields was there for day one, uh, but he only did he did one day. He did only did twelve hours. That was always his plan. He only came to do twelve hours, but Johnny Wolf then surpassed that by a significant number of laps. Um, so with it being a much much bigger event this year. That'd be definitely a battle to watch the the solos to see how you're getting on and hopefully hopefully challenge a win. We'll see. I, you know, I I had fanciful dreams of uh, sub fourteens and stuff last weekend, and that didn't go to plan. But all you can do is go in strong. Regardless, what happens happens on the day. It's going to be fine. There's going to be loads of people. It's still going to be an amazing event and great to see everybody and hopefully get some laps in um, yeah. with people. Um, what happens, happens. I'd have to go for it. As you say, we've got enough teams. You'll get uh, plenty of lap time with, with nearly all 25 of us. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's do the last question. This is a selfish, uh, selfish question. And I know for me, this is going to quickly become my favourite episode. But what's your favourite 99 episode today? I think the, I mean, they've all been great, obviously. Um, I think the episode with Ryan was, especially with all the lads' banter, I've got a very dark, sarcastic sense of humour. Um but also hearing both Ryan's breakdown of Edinburgh with his experience of the marathon for the first time and the amazing pace that he set um, and seeing even faster people struggle, as we all know we do. Uh, Hearing your journey through it and the camaraderie and the community aspect of it, the support crews, the cheer squads, um, getting the likes of Elodie through Nikki's story with... Edinburgh Marathon, which is, regardless of the time, amazing of how she pushed through. So, yeah, I think the stories of Edinburgh Marathon and how everybody did mixed in with the banter and everything of that episode. I'm just going to say you're you're probably one of the only ones that's actually listened to the full duration of episode 10 (laughs) because that was the finale. That's really good. So that's episode 9 and 10. Uh, You've mixed them together. That's, That's spot on. Well, yeah, we'll both go great then. We'll go for those. <laughs> no, well, I mean, honestly, I, I've already said it, um, but I, I, I do wholeheartedly mean it. It's been so uh, fantastic to to have you on, Mike, and I could I could just happily listen to you for hours and hours and hours. So, I right, hopefully it's not put everybody else to sleep. That'd be great. No, 
I th I th I'm pretty sure, not that I speak for everyone, but I'm pretty sure this is going to be quite a quite a popular episode for for a whole multitude of reasons. Uh, for ultra running, for people interested in pulling weights, for um for mental health uh, encouragement. But yeah, if on the side that, if there is anything people do want to see more of with ultra running, nutrition kit, pole, it's kind of let me know so I don't run out of ideas. <laughs> Spot on. Just resort to posting up sweaty 10k. <laughs> but it works. It works. Oh, great! Thank you very much. And uh, I'll just I'll stop hitting. Uh, I'll hit stop on the record now. But that was spot on. Been amazing. I'm not sure about you guys, but personally, I could have listened to Mike talk about ultras for hours. It was fantastic hearing his experiences firsthand, having communicated with him over the past year. And having met him just the very next day after the interview, I can testify that he is every bit as awesome in person as he is online. As Mike mentioned in the interview, however, he's not alone in running the Blades this weekend, with a handful of the Deborah squad being in attendance. So all the best to Susan, Elodie and Mary Louise, who are running the 10km distance, Samantha, who's running the half marathon distance, and Kaylee, Greg, aka Gary, Davy, and Karen for the 50k ultra. And that's once again not forgetting Mike himself, so fingers crossed for the perfect weather for you all on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Myself? Well, I'll be hosting a couple more members of the team for a recce of the Loch Ness 24, alongside my fellow Highland based Deborah Lorna. Lee and Elodie are making the journey north for a day trip this Sunday to scout the route or for Lee, relive some of the fun from last year ahead of the event in a handful of weeks' time. Finally, I'll end the episode with some housekeeping relating to the 99 Club. Having put out an informal poll on which buff you guys like the best, I've ordered a few more of the classics to get the ball rolling. They should be with me in a week or two, so let me know if you want to get your hands on one and I'll add you to a waiting list. And in time, I'll get you all sorted as they arrive. Otherwise, the Heritage and Pride buff variants will be released at later dates as a special batch run. As I'm a little bit unsure as to who actually wants buffs at the moment, I'm doing small batch orders so I don't have more than I necessarily need. So going forward, it may take a week or two for them to arrive with myself, but as soon as they're ready, I'll have them out to anybody that wants them. Lastly, the Discord server. It's ready to roll. I'll be circulating details about the app and the platform in the days following this episode, so keep an eye on the stories for those. I initially intended to look at Facebook or alike, but having spent a little time researching the best platform for myself going forward, looking at the trends, decreases and increases in popularity, I set my sights on Discord. Discord is a widely used platform among the younger generations through to millennials and beyond, with integration into nearly every media device going, games consoles and even smart fridges now. I can't see there being a massive uptake for those who have never used the platform before, but if you want a space that will allow you the freedom to communicate with the 99 Club communication without sharing more of your personal data, hit me up and I'll drop you a link. Otherwise, 
that's me for this week. I'll be joined in episode 3 on the 21st by the Mexican goddess of ultras and personal fitness, who has been featured in both Runner's World and Esquire no less, Tanya Carmona. I'm really looking forward to chatting with Tanya and already know it's gonna be wild. So until then, remember to stay safe, enjoy your runs and you'll hear from me soon.